Hey, welcome, Crossbridge. I want to welcome all of our campuses, uh, those in Morris, those in Peru, as well as uh, all of our listeners, uh, watchers online. We are um, so thankful for each of you, and I'm excited. Um, in fact, Team World Vision, right? Um, you, most of you just heard about that, our partnership with Team World Vision, and I'm trusting that some of you are going to feel the nudge, you're probably feeling it right now, um, to run that Chicago Marathon. And so, man, if you're feeling it, trust the nudge. Um, God can help you do this. And uh, it's a beautiful thing when you hit that starting line and you're running for clean water. And so just want to encourage you. Hey, uh, continuing on in our series, talking about wiggle room. Um, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks. It's defined like this, the space of the distance between our current pace and our limits. It applies to our schedules, our finances, and our relationships. How is this different? Um, you know, th- this week we're going to talk about wiggle room in regards to our finances. And how is this different than what we talked about last week? In fact, as I started to write this sermon, I thought there's a good chance it could sound just like last week, except we're substituting uh, money for time. And, um, but as, as I began to dig into it, I thought, nope, it's going to be different. In fact, one of the ways it's very different, uh, this is interesting, is think about it this way. You can't borrow time. We, only, like, we all get the exact same amount. You can't borrow it. But you can borrow money. You can't borrow time, but you can borrow money. In fact, um, let's just talk about the elephant in the room. Yes, I'm a pastor, uh, the lead pastor of Crossbridge. And yes, I'm talking about money. And yes, that makes uh, many of you very uncomfortable. Um, But just know this. Here's the deal. I I deal with money too. Um, I deal with the stress of it. I sometimes like uh, spend too much of it or... Uh, don't have enough of it or waste it or whatever. Like I, I deal with the same issues you do. And um, on, on top of that, here's, here's what I do believe. I think for us not to talk about money, like it, here's this huge piece of your life um, that all of us think about a lot. So why wouldn't we talk about it? And the Bible talks about it in multiple, multiple, multiple places. So why wouldn't we talk about it? But I, I also recognize this for each of us. As I talk about wiggle room in our finances, um, that means different things for each of us because every single one of us has specific situations, circumstances um, when, it, when it comes to our money. And here's what I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust that if you will listen and you will say, God, speak to me about my finances. Show me something that he's capable of doing that in a very personal way. So before we go any further, um, let's just ask him to do that and trust that he can. Father, thank you. I thank you for the opportunity to share um, about this difficult subject. And I pray that you would take my words and you would connect them to the hearts of your people. And it would feel like, Lord, you're just speaking into very personal, private situations. And that God, people would know that they're hearing from you and you would help them. God, um, this is a subject that matters greatly to us. It's a subject that creates a lot of stress in us. And uh, I, I just pray for maybe there's folks today that could find some freedom um, in the midst of this money conversation, some wiggle room. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You know, uh, how many of you would say that the idea of financial wiggle room um, makes you feel really good, right? Raise your hands. And here's what I'm guessing. Every hand should be in the air, every single hand. The only reason it's not is because you're just uncomfortable raising your hand in church. I, I understand. 
Um, but I know this. Why wouldn't you want it? Why would not? Why would you not want wiggle room? In fact, a hundred percent of us should want it because we. I think when we have it, um, we can actually sleep better. We get along with others better. Like life just feels better. So let's talk about what it would intentionally look like to create wiggle room. And I've got some really practical things that I'm going to talk about that for many of you, you may say, well, Kevin, that's obvious, right? Um, for others, though, I mean, there's oftentimes when I'm listening to someone and the reminder is what I need. Not so much this new information, but the reminder is what I need. And just because the concept is simple does not mean doing it is simple. That it could be that as you listen to a concept, you're like, well, yeah, I knew that. But to actually do it is hard. And so what today might be about is recognizing there's an area or two in, in your financial life, right, um, that God wants to work. And the truth is you need his help to do it. And so that you're going to be having specific conversations with about some of these specific things. So the first one is this. Real practical, right? Choose to live within your means, choose to live within your means. And I I put in quotes outside of that, stop stretching yourself financially. There's a lot of places I think that it's good to stretch. It's good to like put ourselves out there. But for many of us, we've got to like, we live stretched. Um, When I was a kid, I used to have this thing, probably going to show, I'm showing my age, but many of you who are about my age, you'll probably remember this. It was like this little green, he looked like Incredible Hulk. And, and he had arms and legs, and he was made out of, like, rubber. And, and he was made to stretch. And it was so fun. You could stretch his legs and his arms. And, and, and I, I think about um, in another area that's green, right, that we stretch ourselves way, way too far. In fact, so far that we have no margin, and, um, and we have a ton of stress over the area of finances. So let's listen to Matthew chapter 7. Um, I actually shared this on social media a couple of weeks ago because it just it meant something to me as I was reading it. It spoke to me. It says, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give, give good gifts to those who ask him? And, and one of the things that um, I remember commenting on was this idea of needs versus wants that there's a whole lot of things in this world that I want. But what does it look like for me to go to God and say, God, like, help me, right? Um, I'm your child. Help me to know what I need and to give me what I need. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I'm a parent. Um, I got two teenagers. I don't give them everything they want. If I did, I would have absolutely no wiggle room and I would have spoiled, rotten children. Um, I just don't do it. Now, there's a lot of times where like they want things and we have to kind of have that conversation of, do you need that, right? Or do you just want it? And, and I'll tell you, I think there's a, I think there's a crazy amount of tension stretch in, in the midst of even this conversation. Because I also think, I don't think God, um, every time, you know, I, I, there's a lot of things like, do I need, um, do I need a, a milkshake? Probably never, right? But there's times I just, ooh, I enjoy one, right? I don't think God says, hey, you can't enjoy life whatsoever. We're trimming out anything that's outside of your basic needs, like bread and water, right? Whatever. Um, 
I don't think that's it. But I do think there's a healthy tension. I was reminded the other night, I, I drove through the Culver's drive through and I got two small root beer floats. Um, my son loves root beer floats, and so do I. And so I, I picked up two, and I picked him up from driver's ed, and I said, man, here's your float. And he was like, thanks, Dad. Like, I, I love this, right? But here's what I said to him. I said, now, Gerald, you, like, hey, you're welcome, buddy. I mean, no, like every time I pick you up, I always have the disclaimer. Every time I pick you up, I'm not bringing you a root beer float because it was like two weeks in a row. But I said, I was up there on the north side of town, and so, uh, and I wanted one. And so I thought I'd bring you one. Um, but there is something, right? I think oftentimes I do that with my kids. I remind them, hey, this is a time where I got you what you want, but I don't always get you what you want. And um, I think in, in regards to our finances, um, that's a really tricky line. What do we need versus what do we want? In fact, there's a misconception, and I saw this this week. It says, raising our standard of living does not necessarily mean that it raises your quality of life. In fact, there was a quote I saw that says, creating wiggle room financially will lower your standard of living. Let me, let me say that again. Creating wiggle room financially will lower your standard of living, but it will always raise your quality of life. See, I think oftentimes what we, we, what we as, like, associate in our mind is more money, right? Um, raise the standard of living, which raises the quality of life. That is not true. Like, it, it's, it's just not. Um, could it? I guess it could. But I really agree more with the second kind of thought where when you, when you create wiggle room, you lower your standard of living, but it raises your quality of life. Here's the deal. If you have wiggle room and you have space and you have margin um, in your finances, if more, like this month, more, more comes in than goes out, you raise your quality of living because you just dropped your stress level. You just created peace in your life. You're not completely like, oh, what am I going to do? Um, that is like, you talk about quality of living, that makes a difference. Wealth is not the primary objective when it comes to our spiritual life. You know, our primary objective, you've heard me talk about it a lot, is to love God and to love those that he created. And so, um, but that, that's a tough conversation. Figuring out needs versus wants. Now, the second one, really simple. Um, just spend less. Decrease your spending. Sounds so easy. It's so complicated. Most of our, for most of us, our rate of spending does not match our rate of income. In fact, statistics would say m- many of us, right, we either live paycheck to paycheck or we actually live where, like, we're spending more than we make. Um, in fact, think about it this way. Some of you, maybe in the last year, two years, whatever, maybe you got a raise. If you look back, when you got the raise, what'd you do with it? Did you increase your level of living, your level of spending? Um, most of us, that would probably hold true. In, in fact, um, with this mentality of every time more comes in, you just spend more to match it. Uh, here, here's what it does, Right. It creates stress, and it doesn't matter how much you make. You're always going to have the same amount of stress because when you make more, you spend more. I saw a quote uh, talking about spending, and it said, according to studies, one-third of all, um, all shoppers experience an irresistible compulsion to buy. Many buy strictly out of impulse. They go to the mall with nothing in mind other than recreational shopping. 
Not only is it entertaining, but it makes them feel better. It's an antidepressant of sorts, is what this quote said. And I thought, okay, like, how many of you, like, let's not. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hands. That's probably too sensitive. But the reality is many of you know this. You, you know when you go to a mall or you go to your favorite store or you, you go online that, man, there's something that feels really good about that when you click the button or you slide the card. Um, it's, it's like medicine. Um, for me, you know, I, I'll, I'll admit, like, I love going on eBay. If it's not bolted down in my house, I will sell it. And if um, when I sell it, it goes into my PayPal account. And then I turn around on that PayPal account and I buy like sometimes like things that I don't need, I want off eBay. And so I never actually like pull money out of my pocket. And, um, and there's something about it, right? When I feel like I get a great deal on something, uh, call it dopamine, call it whatever you want, but it goes to the head. And it, and it feels good. So I get what we're talking about here. I live in the same world you do. Um, listen to Ecclesiastes 5.10. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. I think there's an assumption that with more money comes more joy. But I'm going to, uh, I've talked about this to you before, but joy does not come from the outside. Happiness is how we would maybe call something from the outside because happiness is about happy things happening to us, happy circumstances. Joy comes from the inside, has nothing to do with the outside. Hebrews 13.5 says, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. As we talk about spending, it leads us to the subject of debt. I saw a quote that said this, debt is a noose, and I don't like having my neck in a noose. And I thought, man, that, <laughs> that's a powerful kind of thought. Um, in fact, there was another quote about credit cards, and here's, here's what it says. The innocent appearing plastic card draws its life from our financial margin, becoming more powerful as we sink deeper into debt. And soon we find ourselves looking up from a deep hole Surrounded by possessions we do not really own. Whew. Now, you're probably like, okay, move on, Kevin. Like, um, but I'm, I'm telling you, even credit cards, right? Um, for some of you, the most spiritual thing you could do. In fact, I thought about doing it in our service. I thought about putting um, trash cans up around the front with a bunch of scissors. And like during the response song or... Uh, the response to this message, you would come up and you would just cut. And um, I mean, some of you would like, you know, you'd be bringing handfuls. But, but here's what I'd say. The most spiritual thing some of you could do today would be to go home and cut up that credit card. Um, a thought that came to me this last week is I thought, I don't, I don't know how big your hole is of debt that you're in. Um, but the first step is to throw out the shovel. And uh, the credit card is the shovel. The credit card just keeps digging deeper. And if you're ever going to get out of the hole, at some point, you got to stop digging. Okay, let's move on. Um, another practical thing, increase income. You know, this, hey, this makes sense, right? You don't have enough. You, you add hours. You pick up another job. Hey, that's, that's all good stuff. But, but here's what I want you to think about. Um, be careful with this. 
Be intentional with this. Practice wisdom in this. Because here's what we tell ourselves. I mean, it'll be different if I could just pick up a few more hours. It'll be different if, if I could just get that second job. It'll be different when I get the raise or the promotion. And the idea leads us right back to what I just talked to you about. It's, it still leads us back to the process of weighing needs versus wants. Because here's what I think. I think sometimes we work ourselves way too much. Take us back to last week about time. We overextend ourselves. We overwork ourselves. We, um, at the expense of what? Um, I mean, sometimes it's, it's to get that thing that we don't really need, but we want. And here's one of the things I would say to you. Your kids need you more than they need a nice car. Dads, moms, your kids need you more than they need the latest and the greatest things. So be careful what you're sacrificing. Now, I, I had a friend, um, and he had an issue with spending. Um, and so he would try to increase his income, and he would work, and he would work, and he would work. And I tell you, like, I would go out to his house, and you could go into his garage, and he had some incredible toys. And, and here was kind of the interesting. Those toys were spotless. And, and the reason they were spotless is because he worked so much that he never got the toys out of the garage. And, and I think, man, how often do we do that, right? We, we purchase because it feels good. We add all these things because it feels good, which means we have to work all the harder. Um, it's an endless cycle, which leads us, another practical point, increase your savings. Proverbs 6 says, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer gathering food for the winter. What a great picture of these little ants, right? Storing it up. Many years ago, I went to a class with my wife, a financial class, just to learn how we could do finances better. Actually, this is one of the things at Crossbridge we're talking about. What would it look like in the future? Um, to continue to give you real resources to help you in this area. When my wife and I went to this class, the main thing, in fact, there was one thing that I took away from that class that I will never, ever forget, and it changed us. It it changed us financially. It changed us as a couple. And here's what it was. it, It was a concept talked about as the emergency account. The emergency savings account. And um, we set a goal and we began to like put money in there and, and we just promised ourselves we wouldn't touch it. And we began to watch it grow. And, we, and it got to a place where like, hey, we hit our goal and here it is. And here's the idea, right? That when the car breaks, it doesn't have to break you. When something goes wrong, it doesn't have to wreck your day because you have emergency funds set aside for when life happens. And let me tell you, in the area of finances, life always happens. Something always goes wrong. Something always breaks. So start putting away something. And now, here's, here's the spiritual piece I want you to hear. Not, not that these others aren't, um, but this is really, really important. Money has power. In fact, listen to Luke 16, 13. No one can serve two masters. For you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. When it says be enslaved, that says to me power. That money has this power to get a hold of us and to enslave us. And so if money has this, all this power, how do we break its power? 
when there's no wiggle room, when we're stressed out to the max, and we're slaves to money, and we worry about it all the time, and the lack of wiggle room controls us, we have to take steps to break the power. Over and over, over, and over in Scripture, we're instructed um, to not put our trust in money. But I'll also say this. It's not money that is evil. It's the love of money that leads to all kinds of evil. In fact, here's what I would say. The greatest way to break the power of money over us is to hold it less tight. That may sound weird to you. Um, I, I believe, though, it's, it's, like, it's like law. It's like principle of, of who God is and how he operates. That if we would practice being generous, if we would practice not trying to squeeze it and make more of it, and that, that we're always doing this, right? That we would begin to open our hands with it that we would be surprised at this power that money, which enslaves us, what that would do and how it might set us free. What if we could just build in some practices and some disciplines of being generous? I think about even when it comes to like church, right? Yes, I'm going to talk about it, that we would be people who give it back. Malachi 3.10 says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I'll open up the windows of heaven for you and I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. It's this idea, which I'm going to talk even more specific here in a little bit. Everything you have is God's anyway. So to acknowledge him and acknowledge the one who gave it to you and that you would give back first. It's one of the ways in which you would say, God, um, I'm trusting you and I need your help with this. You're the one that gave it to me in the first place. And listen, if you don't trust Crossbridge, go down the street and give it to another church. Here's what I'll tell you. Like we, we do our best to manage what comes in to accomplish the mission of leading others into a growing relationship with Jesus. But I also, I never want to be the excuse of why you are enslaved to anything. And, um, and I've heard people say before, like, oh, I just don't trust the church. I just don't. And I think, well, then give it to a church you do trust. Because I think that becomes an excuse really easy just to continue to do this. The second thing is, um, so we talk about give it back, right? Give it back to God. The second is give it away. Deuteronomy 15 says, but if there are any poor Israelites in your towns, when you arrive in the land, the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Giving is a continual reminder of the following. The first one's this. There's power. There's power not just in obtaining money. There's power in releasing it. And, and what we would be saying in releasing it is, God, I want to see your power show up in my life as I, as I, not, as I don't allow this power of, of money to enslave me. I think there is power in giving away. I've experienced it in my own life. Um, there was a point in my life and um, my wife and I, we were saving for an adoption and um, it was an international adoption, cost lots of money. And, and I had a set aside amount of money that was kind of a little nest egg. And, uh, and it was probably, a, I mean, probably 25% of what it was gonna take to get the adoption done. And, and I felt a nudge from the Lord. It didn't really make sense, but the nudge was give it away. And, um, and I'll tell you, I wrestled and I wrestled and I wrestled, but there came a point where I took this nest egg and at Christmas time I went and I just gave it all away. And, and I look back at that, right? And 
I think Rachel thought I was a little crazy at the time. She, she was supportive. But in the midst of doing that, I look back, God enabled us to fund our adoption in spite of giving away like 25% of what we needed. And, and the second piece was this. I look back at that point in my life. It was one of the most joyous, memorable things I've ever, ever done. And it felt so freeing. It felt so amazing just to say, like, I, I can trust God enough. If he asked me to do something, he gave it to me anyway. And it's not really mine. The second thing that giving reminds us of is this, that my trust is not in the dollar, but it's in the one who provided it for me. Psalm 24, one, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. Listen, God can take care of you. I think many times we step into the driver's seat saying, I'm not sure God can take care of me, um, especially when it comes to um, my physical means, my financial means. And, and here's what I'd say. I'd say over the years, I've become very, very confident that I just believe that God can, that he can find all kinds of ways to take care of you, to provide for you, that everything around you, including yourself, we all belong to him. We all came from him. And, um, and I trust that. And I think part of being generous is this way in which we work out this trust in our relationship with God, probably in an area that is very, very difficult for most of us. And, and so this is where it leads me just to wrap up with you is this. I really think if you want wiggle room, you want wiggle room in your finances, then you've got to deal with your finances in a way which is pleasing to God. And I think what that starts is, is just giving him authority. And what I mean by that is that you would say, God, when it comes to my finances, I'm not going to shut you out of that and put you in a box over here in the corner. I'm going to allow you to speak in to how I, how I spend money, um, how I make money, how I save money, how I give away money, that I'm going to let your voice be known. I'm going to surrender control. I'm going to begin to talk to you about my finances. In fact, as we, as I, as I wrap up, here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to, um, we're going to sing a song, um, at our physical campuses and on our online campus. We're going to make reference to it. Um, you can listen to it a little bit later, but the song is called my heart is yours powerful song. And there's lines in there like, I give you my life, I give you my trust, and you are my God. My heart is yours. I just want that to be, I want that to be your prayer. And, and here's what I trust, that if you will actually pray that way, and you will actually let God in to your finances, he can help you create wiggle room. As our worship teams comes, as our um, campus pastors come, Prepare your heart to respond.